All right. Hey. Good to see you all again. I guess you guys don't feel the same. It's okay. No problem. <laughs> I understand. Greg must have done really good. Hey. You guys are like, need some more of that action. Get this John guy out of here. Oh, let me get situated. I was up in Gatlinburg. It was nice. Hey, we are starting to get some fall weather. I like that. Football started this week. My voice just football started this week. Oops, a daisy. Does anybody care about that? No? Some people? Hey, a few people. All right, no. <laughs> Brandon's saying, no, where's my coffee? I need something to wet the whistle while I'm up here. Some, you know. All right. Let's dive in. Let's get started today. Uh, did Greg show some pictures from the shed? I know he posted them on Facebook, which is where I stole these pictures from. If you haven't seen them on Facebook, here's a few pictures of the shed. It's looking pretty good, huh? All right. Yeah, thanks to everyone who's been working on it and helping out and sorting clothes and hanging things up. Yeah, I love it. It's pretty sweet. Uh, sorry I wasn't there. I was out of town. Wished I could have been there, but hey, I saw that it's gotten painted and uh, all this looking good, looking good, y'all. So I wanted to just kind of talk a little bit about, I guess the next, I don't know, series, several weeks, who knows how long this ends up going, um, very practically about the works that, that we're doing. And hey, there's a lot of themes that Anna was talking about, that I heard Greg talk, share about, that are all woven together and it wasn't pre-planned, just, well, from God, the Holy Spirit pre-planned it, and uh, we didn't get together and have a chat about it. But very practical ministry type of like, kind of equipping, like what are we doing and how do we go about engaging people and what do we say and all these different types of questions. But today we're going to start off like pretty high level. And if you go to the next slide for me, the reason is, is because whether we're talking about the transitional ministry or the shed or uh, inner city, as David talked about this morning, what I think is hugely important for us is to develop a really good why behind it. Because if you don't, it just becomes another program. Uh, and I've heard some people ask about some of these things, like, hey, we've done some things like this before. How do we know it's going to last? Is it really going to last very long? So-and-so started this, and it didn't do much, and or this, it went for a year, and then we stopped it or whatever. But I want us to collectively and individually have a deep, like, heartbeat with God as to why we're doing the things that we're doing. And it's not, next slide, it is not to grow Stones River. This is not a church growth strategy, okay? You like how I just put a big old fat X on the... <laughs> I kind of felt bad about it, actually, because I put a huge X on I'm like, that looks ba- kind of bad, but hopefully it gets my point across. <laughs> There's me right there. I'm getting X'd out. Ben is okay, and my wife is okay. Matt is, so it just depends. Lauren's partially... I don't know who's right there in the middle, but they're really... I think it's Megan. They're really in trouble. They're really, sorry, X'd out. Uh, <laughs> I've been a part of ministries for, such, for a very, very long time, and I've sat in meetings, and we've talked about getting backpacks for schools and doing these things, and really it was mostly about how do we grow our church, right? 
Um, yes, we hope to help people, and we tell ourselves we can help people, and we're helping folks. But the reality is, if we're really going to stand back and just call a horse a horse, we're trying to get our church bigger, we want more people to show up. Now, in the process of what we're doing, might Stones River grow? Yeah, it might. It's not the goal, right? We're not, so I just want to let everyone know that we're not trying to, you know, get the, pack the seats here in the house. We're actually going to have a much deeper why, I think, that we can grab a hold of. Does that sound good? All right, good. Sounds good to me, at least. Um, let's go to the next slide. Okay, now we're getting deep. Let's just dive right in. I want to address, I think, an issue with church and the theology that we have that I think affects our lifestyles and how we live them out. And that being, I'll start here, and I hope I can articulate this well if I screw it up someone stop me and say, John, you're a heretic. Don't say that. I thought that would get your attention if I said the word heretic. Um, I'm not. But if I were to ask this group of people or almost probably any church group, I could go to a church and I could say, could you explain to me what the gospel or good news or glad tidings is really what that means, what that is? Because I believe the way that we express this affects the way that we live. Someone's, who wants to share? Someone sharing right now? Mm-mm. Oh, wow. Okay, that's how Sunday school started this morning. I didn't know that. I, was, I wasn't there. <laughs> I'll pause. It's, it's, I, I work on my sermon. You can, I know. Okay, there we go. Okay, good. Praise God. If you come to my house at 9 o'clock, I'm in my kitchen preaching to myself, and my family look, thinks I'm a, probably I'm insane. But I'm literally talking out loud, working on the message. That's how I do. So if anyone ever wants to know the back, that's how that's what I do. Okay. So if I were to ask this, I'm going to guess that it would probably go along the lines of, Jesus died for your sins. If you repent and you turn from your ways, you can have forgiveness and eternal life with God. Something like that, right? Um... Okay, there's reasons that we think this way is because of the, the things that have been passed down for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and the things that have been passed down that were initially a good thing, but we've lost the context of why they have been passed down this way, and so we don't really understand why, and now we think that this good news is, is you know, Jesus died for our sins, and yes, that stuff is true, but oh my gosh, that's a portion of the story, not the whole story. And that leads us to questions like, well, why do we need to read the Old Testament? I'm like, what? How can you understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament? I'm just being real. Like, if we don't understand the story of God, then when Jesus shows up, we're going to see here Matthew is going to continually point back to the bigger picture of the story that's being told, which this affects the way that we live, y'all. This affects the way that we live. So go to the next slide. I'm going to read part of the Nicene Creed. Now, this is not... No way am I correcting or saying that there's anything wrong with it or whatever. But this kind of preaches the gospel like we've been passed down. Now listen, what we don't understand and what we don't teach is the context for why they came up with this. Oftentimes, does anybody know? I'm not going to go into the details. But there's issues in the church and there's issues coming around and they're addressing these types of issues in these creeds that the early church formed. When we don't tell us 1,700 years later that that's the case, then we wholly focus on this, and it's kind of like we go out in our underwear when we need our whole clothes on. This is kind of like the underwear 
where we get like some really good stuff and it's important, but I don't know if anyone wants to see anyone just in their undies. I think we all need to put on some more clothes so we have, I don't know, I guess it's a less better picture, but maybe the analogy sucks. I mean, it was bad. I'm sorry. Forgive me. It's poor. But anyways, I'm going to read. I'm going to read some of that. So I just zoomed in on this part about Jesus because this is a big part of what we're going to focus on. Before this, it talks about him being begotten and, and, and not, you know, all this different things. But okay, when it talks about Jesus, it says, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and he was made man. All this stuff is true, by the way. This is good stuff. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven. And now this part we don't normally say, which I love. We should when we talk about the gospel. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. This is awesome. This is all good stuff. But we mostly have focused on kind of that big first and middle part of it, and we missed the bottom, which is hugely important as well. But this is still not the full story. And so next slide. And so what happens is we get passed down not understanding the context of these creeds and different things like that and what they're for, and we just... I mean, just be real. Like, this is kind of like the whole story. It is, hey, Jesus died. Or was born uh, from Mary, the Virgin Mary. He died to take away our sins. And what it causes us to do is to live like, what the heck happened in between these things? And does that matter? Because if it didn't matter, why didn't he just get killed in the Bethlehem massacre? Just get it over with. If he was, why didn't he just get resurrected as a baby child and then grow up as, that would be kind of weird, I guess, wouldn't it? But the middle part, the story, the glad tidings that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are telling, there is a huge part that is vitally important that shows us Jesus, his life, the message that he was proclaiming, and how can we participate in that? And when we don't have that, it, we live our Christian lives like this. Like, basically, um, I'm born again, as Jesus talked to Nicodemus about. Uh, Jesus forgave me for my sins. Yes, I, rep- I, I repented. He forgave me. All these things. But I don't really know what, what else do I do. And then we sing songs like, just a few more weary days until I'll fly away. What? You think Jesus wanted his church to sing that we're just barely making it through, hoping to get on, one day we fly off on a cloud one day? I, I don't think that that's the message of the God. I don't think that's the glad tidings. I think that's like decent news. That's what I would call it. That's decent news. But I mean, what about these years in between? What about the years for us that we give our lives and surrender to this Jesus and we have 40, 50, 60 years on the earth and what are we supposed to do, just hold on? But as Anna said uh, earlier, I think that what we've had is this idea that being a Christian is going to church like we do. Uh, let's just be real. Let's just be real this morning, right? A good Christian goes to church. A good Christian reads the Bible a little, right? We read a little word. We pray sometimes at least at meals. I mean, bare minimum, that's the underwear of prayer, is that we pray at meals. And, you know, <laughs> and Sometimes we do some nice things like the transition ministry, right, or inner city or whatever, like, and we, we just feel like we should do some things like that because that's what a good Christian does, or I should be nice to my coworkers because that's what a good Christian does and is, and the reality is, is there's a huge, incredible story and mission and 
that we are invited into that we miss whenever we just see the good news as the death and resurrection. And though those are hugely important, I'm not downplaying the parts, but I am saying, last Tolkien reference in a while. Next slide. I mean, the Lord of the Rings show just came. I don't know. Has anyone seen it? Is it good? Okay. I'm, I can't wait to see it. I hope it's good. I'm not going to wear this out. I'm not, this is my last reference for a while. But it might be similar, just to hammer home the point of us saying, someone says, what is the Lord of the Rings? And someone goes, well, Frodo was from the Shire. He, dro- he dropped a ring into Mount Doom and saved humanity. Now, a good Tolkien fan would go, what? That is not all the story. <laughs> That's, now, those things are true. But we treat the gospel. We treat the good news like that oftentimes. And we plus, we share the ending before we even know the rest of the story, and now we don't even want to go watch the story. I'll be like, well, thanks, and I want to watch the movies or read the books now. But the way that we live out and share the story is huge because I bet Tolkien or any of us that love the story would go, man, the character development, the, the, the bravery that is shown, the conflict that's overcome, the how to be a good friend, all these different stories and things that we can, part, we can actually apply to our lives and live out. We miss that if we just go from the beginning to the end and say, well, now it's all done and we're all saved. And we treat the Gospels like that, and it is, again, that affects our lives. It's not just like an idea that we need to change. It's like we have, to do, we have to change that idea first, and as we do that, then we begin to live out something different, and it's really awesome. Next slide. I'm kind of excited this morning. It's been a while. Sometimes I'm more excited than other times, and I don't know why this morning I'm so excited. I like talking about the kingdom. Matthew chapter 3. Greg talked about Mark. I'll talk about Matthew. Hit it from a couple different sides, which this is... Okay, anyways. Matthew chapter 3. When we start to read the beginning of this glad tidings, we read about Jesus' birth. We read about the massacre in Bethlehem, the escape to Egypt, the return from Egypt. And again, this is oftentimes kind of where we stop and where we've got to pick back up. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Okay. So we get this strange character that shows up that Matthew is going to immediately, he has, got, he has a message first, and we're going to hit it in a minute, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's, that's huge. This, is, this message is called repent, or it's called the kingdom of heaven has come near, okay, this morning. Wow, that's interesting. That sounds a little bit different than the message that we've proclaimed. What do you mean the kingdom of heaven has come near? That's weird. But Matthew immediately, as he does through the whole gospel, really, points us to the fact that this is part of a greater story. He points us to Isaiah. Next slide. Isaiah 40. Go there real quick, if y'all don't mind. He points us to this character that's showing up here, named John the Baptist, isn't just some random person that pops up. 
This is why we have to understand and read the Old Testament and, and, and cherish it and understand this is a huge story that's being unfolded throughout history. And what's so cool is when you read Isaiah 39 leading up to this, this is about the people of God going into Babylonian exile. And Hezekiah is like cool with it because it's not going to happen during his day. It's kind of a jerk move, isn't it? Like, well, it's cool. At least it doesn't happen to me. The same way, I believe in cyclical thinking in the Hebrew mind to where you see these things happen over and over and they become increasingly more profound. And as they were exiled, as, as Israel was going into exile, the people of God during the time of John the Baptist are experiencing a type of exile, right? They are under Roman rule. They are not the glorious Israel that they've been before. And so whenever Matthew points this out and they start thinking, is this the wilderness guy? Is this, is this a rescue from God that's coming? Matthew, uh, Isaiah 40 says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid. Sounds like pretty good news so far. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, this is what Matthew quotes, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all people, all people, shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now there's more, and it gets really good. I would encourage you to keep reading on. But what's happening is, as Matthew is saying that this figure, this John, is this voice crying out in the wilderness that is preparing the way for God's glory to be revealed to Israel, and that healing is coming from this exile. Now what does that mean? I'm under Roman occupation. Uh, and we haven't, uh, it's been a long time since Israel is the glorious kingdom that it once was. All of a sudden, you know, they, people see John out in the wilderness and probably there's whispers like, hey, there's this dude in the wilderness and he has this message, repent. God's kingdom's come near. Like, I, I, I'm guessing the winter Christians, Greg, <clears throat> would say, people have been trying to say that for years. Messiahs have popped up. Give me a break. I'll believe it when I see it. And to be honest, I would probably be along, even though I'm pretty positive, I get tired of people saying stuff over and over and it not happening. So I would probably be the same way. There are others that were probably like more hopeful, like, hey, maybe this is it, and whispers that begin to go around. Because, you, I mean, you have to put yourself there. Imagine that you have heard of the glory days of Israel, right? You've heard the story passed around. It's like Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. He relives his glory days of a football player in high school. And you've heard the story of this nation that you live in, Roman occupied, used to be glorious. And there used to be kings like David, and there used to be kings like Solomon, and they would conquer their enemies, and, and there was peace, and there was rest. And you heard this. You hear probably of the Maccabean revolts where we came and took back what, we, what was ours. And you hear these stories and now you're going, God, what the heck's going on? Like, it doesn't look like we have much glorious thing going on. And you probably question yourself, can our nation ever be great? I don't know. Will it ever be restored? I don't know. There's whispers from prophets that said it will. 
and then this voice in the wilderness shows up, and you're like, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe this guy's a lunatic. I don't know. I mean, we have to be real. Wouldn't you be, th- I mean, everyone that st- stands up and says they have a pr- prophetic word, we, I, I don't always believe. I go, all right, Lord, is this from God? And that, I mean, is this from you? And that's what we should do. The Bible teaches us to do that. <clears throat> but he has this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. And we're going to see a very similar message. We're going to see an identical message, actually. This is right after Jesus has been tempted by the enemy, by the devil. The angels come and wait on him. And then Matthew next decides to tell this part of the story. He said, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, John the Baptist, he withdrew to Galilee, which I know I should have maybe put a picture. Galilee is like northern Israel, this area around the sea. Galilee is also known as an area that has a lot of Gentiles. So Jesus decides to withdraw from the Jerusalem main part of Israel and go north to Galilee. He left Nazareth, which is not too far from Jerusalem, and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Interesting, right? Well, we might as well, as I heard Greg saying earlier, Matthew and Mark, they're not using these as proof texts to prove that this is, Jesus was this thing. No, it's pointing us to the greater story. And if we want to go to the next slide, let's go back and read a little bit more of the great story so we can again have an idea. And I promise you guys, like, I'm going, we're going through this so that we can recognize our role. Not, it's good to hear the story and we need to know it, but also recognize that we're invited into this story in a hope that it becomes more, the things that we do, more than just a program, but something a lot bigger. Isaiah 9 is often quoted at Christmas. Matthew is applying it here. And it says, I'll start in verse 1, but there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, where, where Jesus went. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way by the sea, which is where Jesus is, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations, right? The peoples. This idea that there's hinting here that it's more than you, Israel, that there's, there's something great that's happening for the peoples of the earth. The people who walked in darkness, the exact quote here, have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as the people exult in dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. That's interesting. He's breaking the rod of the the oppression. 
For all the boots of the trampling warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us. A son has been given. Authority rests upon his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually. And there shall be endless peace for the throne of David in his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Dang, Matthew, you just made a big statement whenever you put that next to this, next to this guy. You see that for hundreds of years prior to this, people poured over these scriptures and scribes read over the scriptures and they read that there's a coming a time, there's a point whenever there is going to be uh, some type of a child, and the Jewish people will argue maybe if, whether that's Israel itself or a Messiah. I'm not going to go into details about that. But there is an authority, it says, that rests upon this person. And what's intriguing is it uses very, Isaiah uses really strong language here. Uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, like, you have to go, there's something deeper about this child than just being a great king. And when they read passages like this to say that his authority will grow and there will be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom, there is hope. There is a restoration of the throne of David and the people are excited and going, this, we're going to get it back. And if you read that carefully, you've got to go, and who is this? How is this going to happen? This is, what, mighty God? What do you mean? Like, this is, this is amazing stuff. And Matthew's saying, this is who this is. <laughs> this is the Isaiah 9 son that has been given to us. Those are, those are really striking. <laughs> that is a bold statement for Matthew to make. It's a right statement, but it's very bold. And I love the end that I read that says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I know I've said this before, but if you want to know what God is zealous for, do you want to know what God's heart is jealous for? It's for this. It is for the return of the king. <laughs> it is for the reality that Israel, years and years ago, had rejected God as their king. And that God is going to bring restoration to that and that there is going to be a government, that there is going to be an authority that will have no end, and that there is going to be this rule that comes out that changes everything. There's, it's, it's, it's huge. It's incredible. God is zealous for this, y'all. He is zealous for, for this kingdom, this kingdom of God that has come near, which is where, let's talk about that for a second. What does it mean? I mean, that's... that's that's an interesting statement, right? We have these Isaiah quotes and quotes from other prophets and different things like this promising this, this kingdom that's going to be restored and this kingdom that's coming. And then you hear John and you hear Jesus himself saying, God's kingdom has actually come near you. That, what do you do when you're those people and you hear this message? Like they're going, well, where's the... Cavalry. <laughs> I don't see. I don't see much of a kingdom right now. And yet Jesus begins to reveal almost immediately in the Beatitudes what his kingdom looks like. 
and how you and I can participate in that. That word kingdom in the Greek also is kingdom, is sovereignty, is rule. And so what we're saying is, hopefully, we're grabbing hold, I'm going to read a couple more things, is that whenever we submit to the rule of Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, as the Creed says, when he resurrected, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. When we submit to him to rule, I get on my knee and, and say, you are my king, and then we begin to live out his rule, we are establishing and we are spreading this kingdom of God. And so what we're doing is we're looking to be a people who proclaim and live out the reality of what it looks like for Jesus to be king of our lives, of us corporately, of us individually. So when people come in contact with us, and I, I know I'm going very broadly because there's so much, I'll probably spend several weeks with talk about it. There's so many areas, and in fact, in fact, it just hits every part of our life that whenever we are yielding to the rulership and we're living it out, people see, oh, there's a king. <laughs> This is what it looks like to submit to King Jesus. This is what it looks like to live under his rule. And so Jesus, immediately after declaring repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, what does he, he calls disciples. He says, hey, if the kingdom of God is coming near, I've got I've to teach it to some folks. They've got to participate. They've got to see what it looks like. And for us, if we claim, we call ourselves disciples, this is what we're doing. The disciple wanted to be like the rabbi. The disciple submitted their whole self so that they could learn what it was like to live, like <laughs> to know the ways of God, to know the scriptures, to see the way Rabbi Jesus interacted and to interact just like them. They're watching this king, this heaven, uh, God's realm breaking through his rulership, breaking through on the earth. And they're invited to participate in that. And then you read things like the Beatitudes that talk about, and, and, and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, that talk about ideas of what that looks like. What does it look like for God to remain king? For God to be king? Let's go to, next slide please. I'm, uh, I'm purposefully leaving some things out, obviously. This is like a, you could talk about this for years. But I'm going to hit on a few things and call it a day, and we'll keep going on this idea and get more practical. Next slide after that, because I forgot to tell you to go to that one. Okay. There's two pieces to this I want to hit on this morning. And again, this is just two pieces to the kingdom of God coming near. Among tons of pieces to what this means. But I'm going to start here because we've talked a lot about at Stones River about participating in Jesus' mission. And what does it look like to participate in Jesus' mission? Why do we participate in Jesus' mission? Uh, Matthew chapter 10. Uh, I'll go to verse 5. Um, actually, no. Let's start in verse... What did I put on there? Let's, just, let's start in verse 1. Then Jesus summoned the 12 disciples. These are the disciples he picked right after proclaiming, Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Um, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. Then it names the 12. Now I'll go down to verse 5. The, these 12 Jesus sent out with instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles. It wasn't time for that yet. And enter no town of the Samaritans, 
but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. This gospel that we've been talking about this morning, this glad tidings, it's the exact same message that John the Baptist and he spoke. It's not, and I know this is true, it's not Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven. That's part of it, but it's part of this bigger picture of this idea that God's kingdom is actually coming near man. The rulership of God is beginning to be released. As you go, proclaim the good news, the kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without payment, give without payment. Tells them not to take gold or silver or anything like that. But one of the things that I see here is some of the realities that God's rulership has come near is he gave them authority over unclean spirits. Like, there's an authority to God's kingdom. He gave them the ability to heal sick. He gave them the ability to cast out demons. He gave them, he told them to do things with a, what we've been talking about for the last three weeks, with a giving heart. Don't be looking for what you get out of it. In my kingdom, we don't look for what we get out of it. We look for what we can give. Uh, You didn't have to pay for it. Why are you trying to get paid? And what it shows me, y'all, is that as we're in the shed or inner city or Mitchell Nielsen, the reality is, is there's a ton of brokenness in our city. There's brokenness right here in this neighborhood, probably way more than we have any idea of as we get to know the people. And this also shows me that when God's kingdom is brought near, it brings healing. Physical, emotional, (laughs) it brings relational healing. There's brokenness that's restored. I know we don't like to talk about demons, but there is demonic influence. (laughs) And God's saying that as his kingdom comes near, I'm going to actually read something here in a second, that that gets dispelled. That the people that are bringing the message have a spirit of giving and this is, this is part of the why. It's not a program. It is an announcement of God's kingdom through our words and through our actions that God's rulership and authority has come among us. And we are showing that to the world. Yes, one day Jesus will physically come and he will sit on his throne and it's going to be amazing. But it doesn't mean we just sit around crying and going, oh gosh, I hope that you come sometime. Jesus showed us that in the interim, we are allowing and breaking through the rule of heaven on earth as we yield and we participate in his mission. That's what he called. He said, your disciples, great, you have a job to do. He didn't say, well, he talked about it was difficult. Like, if we want to say that we're disciples, we have a job to do. And we see it here. We see it with the 72. We see him saying, there's a mission. There's an announcement of the kingdom. There's a lives to be lived out. There's brokenness that needs to be healed. And guess what? We're the people that he chooses to do this through. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of the kingdom of God. The last passage I would like to read is uh, Matthew 12, 22. And this kind of goes along these lines. I love this passage. It says, uh, this is just a few cha- couple of chapters over, when they brought him to a demoniac, who was blind and mute, and he cured him. 
could you imagine being a demoniac that's blind and mute? Like, I think we read through these so quickly of how much of an impact that would have changed your life. I mean, that almost seems like an understatement. That would have changed my life. Yes, everything would be completely different. Because why? Because God's kingdom had been brought near this person. Everything should be completely different when we interact with our city and our relatives and our neighbors and stuff because God's kingdom has been brought near. He was blind and mute and he cured him so that the one who had been mute could speak and see. All the crowds were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Ah, here we go, right? Can this be the one? This is the message of the gospel. It's a kingdom that's coming. There's a king that's taking his, his seat on the throne. There's a restoration that's taking place. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, that this fellow cast out demons. See, they're in a predicament, right? They don't like this guy. And he's doing things like healing people from muteness and blindness. And that's really hard to com- compete with or to challenge. I mean, what do you do? So they're like, well, that must be of the devil. We don't ever do anything like that anymore, do we? Oh, that must be, from, that must be the devil's work. He knew what they were thinking and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So Jesus is letting us know there is another kingdom in this passage. (laughs) It's the kingdom of the devil. And it's talking about demons and all these things. And his his statement is, if I mean, how can demons cast out demons? That kingdom's going to fall apart, right? If, you know, me and Ryan and Bethany and Greg get into a big fight and Ben and we're all arguing with each other and fighting, Stones River won't stand very long, will it? It's <laughs> point. We can't cast out that. But then a very strong statement he makes. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, whom do your exorcists cast them? And then he says, therefore, they will be your judgments. But one of my favorite, I love this, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. See, there's an authority that's being released (laughs) onto the earth that dispels the kingdom of the enemy, that reveals, because it's more powerful, (laughs) that there is a new kingdom that is taking over. That it's God's kingdom has actually come to you because of this is actually taking place. It is evidenced by the fact that these demons are, are fleeing. It's evidence that there's a greater kingdom that's come among you. And guess what happens? Everyone's amazed. They're like, what's going on? <laughs> this is great. As I said before, there's so many things that are broken in, in this city, in this area. There's people, I guarantee you, that are tormented by demons. I'm just being real. Like, there's, there's two sides to this that we can go. I've been part of churches where a demon's under every dang rock and is irritating, right? And it, it's, so, it's almost like we don't have authority. They're so much better. Oh, my gosh, there's demons, you know, and we're having to, you know, throw oil on everything. And we're, you know, and you, I don't know if maybe you've never been a part of that. And I'm going, wait a second. We're, this sounds like we're a little more powerful than being scared to death of this. But the other side is we just don't ever talk about it because it's weird, well, read the, read the Gospels. They're all over the Gospels. <laughs> this idea of Satan and his kingdom and these, like, 
the demons, like oftentimes people are physically ill because of them. I mean, there's tons of things that they that they affect. And for us to pretend like that's not happening is probably is foolish, I would probably say. But there's things like that happening right out here. And you and I are invited to not just do some good things. We're invited to announce the kingdom by releasing the authority of Jesus into people's lives, which brings healing, which brings restoration, which amazes people, actually. It also uh, ticks some people off. <laughs> Use that, right? It frustrated the Pharisees. Like, it's not, gonna, it's not just going to be like, oh, yeah, everything's good. Satan just doesn't go, well, who cares? This is a big part of the why. That's where I want to end. For us to think, how are we practically, and we'll get deeper into it, but as we go out here, as we go to our jobs even this week, how are we practically revealing the rule of God? And how are we practically proclaiming the glad tidings that God's kingdom has actually come near to man? And I know that's hard for us to to grab hold of, maybe to think of, but the reality is Jesus is seated on his throne and the kingdom of heaven is breaking loose on earth through us. And we get to participate in that. That makes me a lot more excited about helping people in need than just there's another program. So if we do something and it lasts six months and goes away, it's not like it was for naught. Do we release the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> right? Do we reveal the rulership of God and what that looks like to people? Uh, the last thing I'll mention was, because I, I failed to mention, that when Jesus sent out his 12 and they were to reveal the kingdom, one very practical thing I forgot to mention was, what did he tell them to do? He said to stay with them. We have this idea oftentimes that we go and we do a program or we do this thing over at Mitchell Nielsen or whatever, and then we kind of just come back. But Jesus told them you need to invest in their lives. Like, no more, not just go around, proclaim this, proclaim that, proclaim that. Like, stay with them. Spend time with them. Develop relationships. If someone comes to us and tries to tell us of this great news of some religion or something like that, I'll tell you what, if I don't know them, I won't listen. I Will any of you? Probably not. But if someone's built that, that equity, have stayed with me, has spent times, has cried with me, I think I might be a little bit more open. And I think that that's why that type of evangelism, uh, sharing of the good news, struggles. Because we're to be with people. We're to be with them, among them, constantly revealing what the kingdom of God and yielding to Jesus' rulership, which again affects all of our lives. It affects how we treat our spouses. It affects how we spend our money. It affects how we uh, help those people who are broken and help affects how we receive whenever we're broken and we need to be healed. Father, um, thank you for bringing your kingdom near to us. Um, I, I, I ask forgiveness, Father, for the times wherever I just have kind of forgotten about how huge that is, about the implications that because your kingdom has come near, there's work to do, because your kingdom has come near, there's a message to live out and to speak and to reveal to the people that are near us. Father, I pray that at Stones River, we would be people of your kingdom, that we would be loyal servants that love you with our whole hearts, that bow down to you, Jesus. I mean, I just say right now, you are my king. You are our king. You are king of Stones River. You are king of our hearts. 
You are the king. And uh, we, just want to, we just want to be great ambassadors. We want to go where you call us to go. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just lead us and guide us. We want to love those who you are highlighting for us to spend a lot of time with. I know we love everyone, but there's those who, like you with the disciples, recognize there's some that it's time to really spend time with these people. Lord, I pray that we would sense those callings and those proddings for where they are, and I pray that we would be, as Jesus was, completely faithful to everything you call us to do. Uh, Lord, speak to us if, we've, if there's places where we've lost faithfulness or we get tired and decide, well, I'm kind of done with that. If you haven't finished working, then we don't want to sit down and say we finished working. We want to be wholly faithful to a wholly faithful God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The splendor of the King